Welcome back, I'm Peter St. Ange. This is a weekly roundup of my daily videos on the economy and freedom, where I cut through the BS and lay out with the gaslight-fueled clowns pulled out of their hats this week and what is coming next. The holidays are over and inflation is back. After months of mainstream victory laps, including Paul Krugman's famous quote, inflation is over, we won at very little cost. It turns out inflation is not dead after all. It is not even resting. As my colleague EJ and Tony put it, inflation ripped the stake out of its chest and loosened a blood-chilling scream. So first, the numbers. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, who lovingly handcrafts our alleged inflation numbers, put out fresh data for December, saying headline CPI went up at an annualized pace of 3.7%. That is a problem because it is almost three times higher than the previous month, the month that Paul Krugman was celebrating. Worse, the CPI is currently running almost double the pace of last December a year ago. So transitory is looking a lot longer than it used to. It's even worse on so-called core CPI, which strips out food and energy. That came in at an annualized 3.8%, about half a point higher than the previous month. And finally, so-called super core inflation, which is not a joke. That is something the Fed pulled out of its hat to strip out housing costs. That one's doing even worse, hitting almost 5% annualized. I know that feeling when your fake statistics don't work out. The problem is none of this should be happening since we've just gone through the most savage, Fed-induced credit strangle since the 1970s. In fact, in terms of money supply, how much confetti is in existence, it has been the worst Fed-induced credit strangle since the 1930s. So we've got the creeping recession to show for it, as everybody, including the Fed, expected. And yet, inflation isn't just undead. It's positively rocking the graveyard. So what happened? Two things. First, the federal government never actually cut spending. Second, there was so much bank and hedge fund money parked at the Fed that as it drained out, especially the reverse repo, that meant there was plenty of money sloshing around Wall Street It was only tight for the unwashed voters trying to, say, buy a house or pay down their credit card. The federal spending in particular has been eye-watering. In fact, just hours after the BLS inflation report, Janet Yellen rolled up with her bag of goodies, reporting the federal deficit for December soared to $130 billion in a single month. For perspective, the typical budget deficit during the Trump years on a December was roughly $20 billion. Under Biden, it was $80 billion last year, now it's $130, and there's still another year to go, maybe more if the dead vote swings blue again. So what's next? Out-of-control federal spending is the root of our current economic crisis. It's driving inflation, it's driving the recessions the Fed makes to fight inflation. It's coming to tax the waitresses, and it is driving us to national insolvency. Of course, the Washington Uniparty is happy to watch it burn. We just got another installment of spinelessness from Speaker Johnson last week. So until we do get some testicular fortitude in Congress, we will keep replaying the 70s show. Inflation, recession, more joblessness. The Federal Reserve just reported its largest loss in history by far. But don't worry, you'll be covering it. A few days ago, the Fed announced its preliminary 2023 financial statements. Note these are not audited results. We have to take the Fed at its word. 
You may recall Ron Paul's decades-long campaign to audit the Fed, which failed since the Fed is an unconstitutional racket who answers to nobody. As Murray Rothbard noted, the Fed actually has less oversight than the CIA. At any rate, even with the Fed grading its own homework, last year it reported an operating loss of $114 billion. To put that in perspective, it would be the third largest bankruptcy in American history, just behind Lehman Brothers and Washington Mutual in 2008, both ironically also caused by the Fed. But of course, that's the losses in a single year, with much more to come. So how did the Fed lose so much money? Some of it comes from their paying Wall Street to park money at the Fed, which they do to hide inflation and because they like sending money to Wall Street. But the bulk of the Fed's losses are because they printed trillions to finance COVID lockdowns, used those trillions to buy bonds, mainly government debt, and then when they panic hiked rates to try and choke off inflation, bond prices collapsed. Meaning the Fed's pile of $9 trillion worth of bonds started losing money hand over fist. In fact, estimates of unrealized losses, meaning money the Fed has lost but hasn't yet fessed up to, could be well over a trillion dollars at this point. Of course, those unrealized losses don't come clean until the Fed sells the bonds, which they do either because the bond matured, so bonds have fixed times like 90 days or five years, or because the Fed pawned them to try and soak up inflationary dollars called quantitative tightening. Now, last year's 114 was a bit of both, with another trillion plus to come so far. So what does it mean? In the near term, nothing. The Fed ignores losses because in a pickle, it can just print the money, converting it into inflation. Longer term, though, every last penny the Fed loses is going on the taxpayer tab. The reason is all those losses cancel the money the Fed is supposed to be paying Treasury every year. These are called Fed remittances, and they're the profits from printing money and lending it out, essentially a licensing fee for counterfeiting. Those Fed remittances had been running about $80 billion a year, but now they will be underwater for potentially decades. It's worth noting this is fresh territory. The Fed never before turned in a loss until 2022. Now it will be losing money until our kids are grown. So what's next? The Fed's losses are just beginning 114 down, a trillion plus to go. In fact, they'll continue getting even bigger until interest rates come down hard, which will only happen with a hard recession, meaning yet more trillions in debt. Either way, we're looking at much more on the federal debt that's already hit $275,000 per American household, growing at almost $30,000 per household per year. A word from our sponsor. An IRA is an investment vehicle that can save you a lot of taxes if used correctly. With Unchained.com, you can hold real Bitcoin in your IRA, and it's the only company where you hold the keys and can verify that your Bitcoin is not being relent or rehypothecated. We've recently seen that futures-based ETFs dramatically underperform holding your own Bitcoin, so why settle for an underperforming asset? Go to Unchained.com and use promo code PETER to get $50 off concierge onboarding. Whatever low expectations you had for Republicans in Congress, it could be time to dial them down, as new Speaker Johnson looks set to deliver yet another budget surrender. Congressional Democrats were downright giddy trumpeting the new 2024 budget agreement as a big win, 
begging the question with a Republican speaker like Johnson, who really needs Democrats? The deal clears the way to pour yet another $1.7 trillion of taxpayer money into a bunch of departments that would otherwise run out of money next week, including energy, housing, transportation, and agricultural subsidies. The deal cuts, wait for it, $16 billion in spending out of $1.7 trillion. So that is less than a penny on the dollar, or as my friend E.J. Antoni notes, it comes to five days of interest on the national debt. And as you'd expect, it's a penny worth of gimmicks, accelerating a single budget cut along with $6 billion in leftover COVID money that they count as spending cuts because Washington does math differently than normal humans do math. As Speaker Johnson dryly put it, quote, final spending levels will not satisfy everyone. Do you think? More important, the deal does nothing about the wide open border and the millions of illegal migrants flooding into our country, apparently at a taxpayer cost of $144,000 per migrant per year, according to New York City. Indeed, one Republican, Senator Lankford of Oklahoma, is actually pushing an immigration deal that would hand out work visas to those illegals to leave no GOP donor behind in their quest to replace American workers with survival-level imports. The deal kept the McCarthy-negotiated spending levels, so $886 billion for the military, so for foreign wars, and $704 billion in non-defense spending, meaning handouts, vote-buying, and power grabs. Yes, if you are following at home, establishment Republicans will give everything away as long as they can get money for foreign wars and cheap imported labor. The few actual conservatives in Congress have already said they will oppose the deal, so the Freedom Caucus called it a, quote, total failure, even worse than we expected. Conservative donors, according to one report, quote, reamed Johnson for his abject failure. Based Senator Mike Lee of Utah noted that Johnson managed to spend $100 billion more than the starting bid, it's a heck of a negotiating talent, while giving Biden just about everything he wanted. As one anonymous congressional Republican summed it, quote, Johnson is way, way over his head. He is getting rolled even worse than McCarthy. So what's next? At this point, Johnson's tenure as speaker may be numbered. Unfortunately, even if Johnson goes, there's not much talent in the congressional GOP until a lot more populists and American firsters get into office. Until that happens, uniparty budget deals will continue as federal spending and federal debt continue gobbling up the entire economy. If you are still for some insane reason living in the state of California, it may be time to leave. The California legislature is currently taking up their latest bit of suicidal lunacy, a wealth tax. It would impose an annual tax of 1% on the worldwide wealth of anybody over $50 million in assets and 1.5% on billionaires. The billionaires tax would kick in next year while the millionaires get a one-year stay. The bill would also pay private attorneys to sue affluent Californians for allegedly underreporting assets, giving them a share of the taxes. So imagine the joy of random lawyers showing up to sue you over the cost basis of your home renovations. Part-time residents would be taxed pro rata for every day they are physically in the state of California. And no, fleeing the state will not work. California will chase you down even after you leave for that final 
punk you can check out but you can never leave. So why are they doing this? Partly because California voters are consumed with rage and envy that there are people who build things instead of stealing wealth and trading it for votes, but mostly because the state of California has spent itself into an abyss with a $68 billion budget hole. Note that's not including the coming migrant crisis. To give a flavor, the state just announced free health care for all illegal migrants, meaning all 6.7 billion people on Earth including free Gender Reassignment Act taxpayer expense for every drag queen in Guatemala. That kind of virtue does not pay for itself. Now, a percent and a half tax does not sound like very much, but remember, this is taxing the entire amount. So in practice, rich people grow their money about 5% per year. You can track that over on the Forbes 500. In other words, 1.5% is equivalent to confiscating almost a third of their money. It's 30% of their annual returns. That means in California, you get to pay a top rate of 51% when you earn it. That includes California's new 14% income tax. And then you effectively hand over 30% of your gains each and every year. You keep the pocket change. So what's next? California's wealth tax is not a done deal. It still has to pass and it will be litigated. But keep in mind, they already do effectively wealth tax your house, known as property tax. So I think there's a good chance it would stand. More important, going by the history of the income tax, they will start with the millionaires and very quickly climb down to the middle class. After all, the federal income tax itself originally applied only to the top 1% of taxpayers who paid 7% top rate. Within five years, it hit a 73% top rate. And today, almost two-thirds of Americans pay income tax. And so, most likely, what comes next is a giant exodus of affluent Californians taking their businesses and their tax base with them to Florida or Texas. Meanwhile, to the extent California serves as a model for other progressive states like New York or Illinois, we could see more of these tax grabs on the way. After all, the progressive mantra is make it hard to succeed, easy to fail, because people in distress are the most obedient voters. This podcast is supported by our sponsor, MoneyMetals.com, the most trusted bullion dealer and depository in the United States. MoneyMetals is known for its competitive pricing, excellent customer service, and fast delivery of physical gold and silver, as well as their educational content and advocacy for sound money policies at the state and federal levels. They've set the industry standard for selling, buying, and storing precious metals. If you're looking to help protect yourself against inflation and market turmoil, you'll give them a try. To learn more or to buy your physical gold and silver, go to moneymetals.com. The return of inflation is starting to look like a worldwide affair as consumer prices across the globe wake up dig out of their shallow graves, pull out the stake, and scream, 1970s, here we come. On the heels of last week's inflation jump in the U.S., now British numbers are telling the same tale, showing the first rise in almost a year to 4%. It's worth noting Reuters' economist survey had expected inflation to go down, not to go up. Throw in rising inflation rates now in Canada and the Eurozone, and inflation is currently rising pretty much across the entire West. Only Australia has fallen. 
Now, the UK had been a canary in the coal mines since it went up so bad. In fact, even worse than the US, with official British food prices hitting 20% earlier this year. Food is still running hot in Britain at 8%, but the big surprise was everything else. So services, transport, recreation, stuff you drop on your foot and stuff you do not. So airfares were up 60% on the month. Clothes went up when they normally collapse post-Christmas. Live music, holidays, theater, it is all up. In fact, annual services inflation in Britain hit 6.4%, which is a problem since those make up the majority of what British people buy, as they do across the West. Now, this all mirrors what's happening in pretty much every Western economy at this point. Indeed, that same FT article notes what I've been saying in videos for several months, that there's been essentially zero progress on inflation in the West outside of energy. And energy itself is driven by looming recession, which always yanks down energy prices, along with the winding down of Mr. Putin's war. Now, underlying inflation, meanwhile, hasn't gone anywhere for the simple reason that obscene government spending has continued, also across the West essentially taking all the money they grabbed for COVID lockdowns and repurposing it for everything from diversity to global warming to millions of random migrants. General rule of thumb is once government gets a hold of budget, it will not let it go. It will find new excuses to waste it. So what's next? Interestingly enough, surging inflation hasn't really changed market expectations of rate cuts by central banks. That's weird since normally you'd expect central banks to not cut rates if inflation is rampant, because they know that cutting rates makes inflation worse. There are a number of hypotheses why. So one that I've argued is that the Fed is so afraid of recession that it's going to let inflation rip to knock down those coming unemployment headlines. Another much darker possibility is that perhaps the Fed doesn't care about inflation or the economy, because what it's really afraid of is the stability of the entire financial system. If that is the case, then they will cut rates no matter what happens to the economy because the alternative is a financial collapse that is too big even for them to bail out. After all, high rates were what crashed all those banks back in March, and they never really fixed it, they just papered it over. So central banks across the West at this point have painted themselves into the mother of corners, potentially facing durable global stagnation, stagflation for the first time in 50 years, this time paired with a financial crisis that would make it a combination not seen since the 1930s. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to get next week's episode fresh in your inbox and go to petersaydonch.com to read the full weekly articles with charts and all the gory details. Okay, we'll be watching. See you next time.